Welcome to Square Wave. This week on the show, a selection of underappreciated soundtracks on Nintendo's 16-bit console, the Super Nintendo. Welcome to the show. My name is Dustin Rogers, and you're listening to Square Wave, an audio exploration of every video game soundtrack ever. And since the first week of June, the individual shows on this season have focused on one composer or soundtrack, often examining their life, influences, instruments, and playing their greatest hits, if you will, their contributions to game music. And I've been quite happy with how the shows have turned out. I'm I, one small note, I mean, I think I need an editor, <laughs> but overall, I'm quite proud of the show this year. Um, nevertheless, I want to keep trying different things, and this week features one of the bigger departures from the formula yet. This week, the deep dive lesson takes a backseat to the music, because I'll be sharing some of the best soundtracks on the Super Nintendo. And you know me, that these games are, for various reasons, not all that popular or thought of in North America is having great scores, but they all feature fantastic music. Now, I've handpicked over 70 minutes of individual tracks for you, which I won't get to play all of today, but for those of you wanting more music, I promise that this will be the most music-heavy episode of the season thus far. So, with that said, let's get right into it. Here's Museum from Mega Man and Bass, and when I come back, I'll tell you about the Super Nintendo sound chip, and why none of today's music, none of what you're going to hear today, sounds exactly like it would have on your old Super Nintendo. 
You're listening to Square Wave on CKUW 95.9 FM. Welcome back to Square Wave. This week is the Super Nintendo episode. 
And I've been waiting to do this for a while because there are so many great soundtracks made for this console, but compared to the Sega Genesis or the Sharp X68000, for example, the Super Nintendo's architecture is a bit more complicated to explain. You see, inside of each Super Nintendo is an SSMP chip, which is responsible for the audio playback. It consists of two different units. There's the SPC-700, which is a processing core where the musician writes a program that operates the other chip, the digital signal processor, or the DSP, and tells it what sounds to make. And unlike the Sega Genesis, which used FM synthesis to make its music, the SNES has eight dedicated channels and uses PCM sampling. And this means that artists can load in sound effects from instruments of their choosing, and it offered a significant improvement, kind of, for composers at the time. And I say kind of because it's arguable that this is better than what the other sound chips were capable of, but it is still significant because now composers could reasonably produce orchestral music or clear voice clips on a home console. And there are some really famous examples of the Super Nintendo playing very unique music. And I have a hard time imagining the Genesis reproducing the accordion-esque sound of the Yoshi's Island soundtrack, for example, but these are generally the exception rather than the rule. In fact, there are several games that all used instrument samples given to the composers by Sony, which would sometimes result in games sounding quite alike. Otherwise, though, composers and sound designers were able to choose their own instruments to make their songs. This gave the Super Nintendo chip incredible potential in the hands of an expert composer, but the Super Nintendo was far from perfect when it came to working with. Of considerable note, the system could only accommodate 64 kilobytes of audio RAM at a time, which is laughably tiny today. For comparison, the average 3-minute MP3 file is about 5 to 6 megabytes. That's a hundred times larger than the entire memory available to a Super Nintendo game's music at any given time. Although the cartridge could store more than 64 kilobytes of music data, I'm talking about 64 kilobytes of RAM being available for playback at any time. And this resulted in samples that were very small, sometimes only as long as a single waveform if they needed to save space. Another complaint would be that the SSMP system was notoriously difficult to program for. There was no built-in music tracker, meaning that all the songs and sound effects had to be painstakingly created in a text editor, and the code then assembled and sent to the SPC-700. Real-time editing was a luxury that many composers on the Super Nintendo never had access to. One final note here, although there's always more that we could say about the Sony chip inside of the Super Nintendo, I wanted to touch on the physical realities of the system. All Super Nintendos use a ceramic resonator instead of the more accurate crystal resonator. And what does this mean? Essentially, what does this mean in the real world? Well, different ceramic resonators produce different sounds due to temperature and age. Essentially, every Super Nintendo sounds just a little bit different. And even the same console can produce different sounds depending on the different characteristics that are present on the chip at the time. You can probably guess that this has been a huge headache for people who try to accurately emulate the Super Nintendo sound. Although it's possible to extract the music data from the games and play it back, trying to get a straight answer from the hardware itself is extremely difficult. And even direct digital outputs from the Super Nintendo will produce slightly different waveforms over time. So if you're an adherent to 100% console accurate playback, then this is not the show for you. There is a lot more that, of course, I could say about the Super Nintendo chip, 
but I'm going to save all that for future shows. What's important to take away from this segment is the strict storage limits and the introduction of the sample-based playback that the SNES featured. This, in the hands of smart and dedicated composers, could still make beautiful music. And to prove my point, I'm going to play for you Database from the Mega Man and Bass soundtrack. I'll be right back on Square Wave on CKW 95.9 FM. Welcome back to Square Wave. 
This is the episode where I'm playing the hidden hits of the Super Nintendo library, and I hope that the last segment wasn't too much technobabble for you. Uh, from this point on, we're going to be mostly focusing on the music, and for the rest of the show, what you'll hear is being played in order of its release. Starting with a title that was released on the Super Nintendo very early in its life, this is a game called Hyperzone, and I can already hear that there's some heads nodding out there right now who, upon hearing the name of that game, already know that I'm about to tell you that Hyperzone was made by HAL Laboratory and was released in 1991. And this was actually just a month after the console's North American debut in August of that year. Hyperzone is essentially a hallway shooter where the player controls a ship which flies down a long corridor while shooting down enemy craft. And looking back at the game today, it seems like an advanced tech demo of the infamous Mode 7 uh, capability of the Super Nintendo, and it shares a lot of DNA with F-Zero, which actually was a launch title on the console. But instead of being on a track, the player's ship flies above it, and it's sort of like a simplified take on what would later be done in Star Fox. Now, flash forward to today, HAL Laboratory is a very highly regarded developer. They're responsible for the Mother slash Earthbound series. They made the first two Smash Brothers games. Um, they're also the masterminds behind the Kirby series. But to be honest, Hyperzone was not the company's best effort. It suffered from weak reviews upon launch, and the gameplay doesn't hold up very well today, and even against other games of the era, is it's not great. But the soundtrack is... And it was composed by Jun Ishikawa, who is the main composer for the Kirby series, and he's known for his energetic and electronic music. And Hyperzone really stands the test of time as an iconic offering from Ishikawa. It features the style that he is known for, hinting at where his talents would take him in the Kirby games in years to come. Hyperzone is a dark electronic score, which fits the game very well. It's also just Ishikawa's second score for the Super Nintendo, and his fifth since being hired at the HAL Laboratory in 1990. Let's hear a few tracks from that soundtrack right now, and when I come back, we're going to talk about another shooter with a standout soundtrack from 1992. You're listening to Square Wave on CKW 95.9 FM.
Welcome back to Square Wave on CKW 95.9 FM. In case you're just tuning in after hearing that awesome music block, today on the show I'm highlighting some underappreciated hits of the Super Nintendo. And these are the games that I feel don't get mentioned enough when it comes to the shortlist of the greatest music on that system. The game you just heard was Hyperzone, and for the second game of the show today, I'd like to talk about Super Alest, or as it was known here in North America, Space Megaforce. You see, Space Megaforce has been called the greatest shoot-em-up on the Super Nintendo, and it's not for a lack of competition. Space Megaforce just seems to strike the perfect balance of gameplay, visuals, and interesting power-ups that make it a standout in the genre. It was developed by Compile and released in 1992. Space Megaforce presents players with a top-down view of the action, and they are able to control a ship that looks a lot like a jet as it navigates... A series of long levels that were just littered with enemies and enhancements that augment the ship's capabilities. The game was composed by three different composers at Compile, but seems to be most closely associated with Kasumi Tanaka, and he's known also as Mighty K. And unfortunately, there's not much available to read on Tanaka, who also composed Pocket Poyo Poyo for the Game Boy Color and Robo Alest, a sequel to this game for the Sega CD. But what I could find says that Tanaka is still composing music today, despite Compile folding after filing for bankruptcy in 2003. In fact, Tanaka is the guitarist and co-founder of Minyo Crusaders, which is a 10-piece band that plays traditional Japanese folk music called Minyo, hence the name. And Tanaka says that he was inspired to move in this direction with his career after the 2011 Tohoku earthquake, where he began searching for Japanese music that he identified with, and remembering Minyo, contracted Freddie Tsukamoto, a jazz and R&B singer with intentions of starting the band. Of course, Katsumi Tanaka's earlier influences include hard rock, metal, blues, and just largely western music, which is I believe where Tanaka drew his inspiration for his score here on Space Megaforce. And it was this game that I chose to open the show with today, and it's an excellent soundtrack that draws upon piano and organ, violin, and rock drum samples to create an unforgettable soundtrack to one of the best shoot-em-ups ever made on the console. Enjoy this next series of songs from the Space Megaforce soundtrack. And when I come back, we're heading to 1996 and another soundtrack where players control destructive machinery. You're listening to Square Wave on CKOW 95.9 FM.
Welcome back to Square Wave. You're listening to CKUW 95.9 FM. What you just heard was from the Space Megaforce soundtrack. And in case you missed the opening few minutes of the show today, I introduced today's program as being focused on the Super Nintendo. And I also spent a few minutes talking about the sound chip inside the console. And I gave a very broad overview of how it makes music and allowed composers to sample their own sounds and drop them into their games. And if you missed that, and assuming that sort of thing appeals to you, then you can go back and check that out on the CKUW 95.9 FM archives available online. Also, uh, after I'm finished this season of Square Wave, I'm going to release every episode of the show online in a Google Doc somewhere, um, probably through my Twitter page. So make sure you go and follow Square Wave CKUW on Twitter to see that link. Alright, so as I said, this week I'm playing some relatively unknown musical gems on the Super Nintendo, and I'm sort of cheating you with this one because this next game is Gundam Wing Endless Duel, and it was only released in Japan, so it's sort of a given that this is less popular with North American and European audiences than it would be otherwise. And this is a shame because it's a really a solid fighting game, and today it still has plenty of fans. It's even been featured as a side event at big fighting tournaments, and it should come as no surprise that Gundam Wing Endless Duel holds up well today because... It was developed by the Tango Project team at Natsume, who had previously developed the Ninja Warriors, Wild Guns, and Mighty Morphin Power Rangers The Fighting Edition, which are all games with strong soundtracks and solid gameplay, and they were released in the back half of the console's period of relevancy. And being so late at the time of release, and the lesser-known quantity that was the Gundam series in North America in the time of the 1990s, Gundam Wing Endless Duel never received an official translation, although there is a fan patch for the game that was released in 2002. Gundam Wing Endless Duel's music was composed by Haru Ohashi and Hiroyuki Iwatsuki, and it features many great songs that support the game's action with up-tempo beats and killer synths, whose samples, Iwatsuki says, came from a combination of a PC-98, a MIDI driver, a Roland sound canvas, and a Roland W30 keyboard. The game also features a synthesized version of the second opening song for the Gundam Wing anime series. And when it was finished, Gundam Wing Endless Duel was released in Japan in 1996, making it one of the last titles to appear on the Super Famicom. But it would be far from the last, because after the music of Endless Duel, the next game I'm going to talk about wouldn't come out for another two years. You're listening to Square Wave on CKUW 95.9 FM.
welcome back to Square Wave on CKW 95.9 FM. You just heard three songs from the Gundam Wing Endless Duel soundtrack released for the Super Nintendo in 1996. And for the final underappreciated soundtrack, I wanted to highlight Mega Man and Bass, otherwise known as Rockman and Forte, in Japan anyway. And that is a game that was released in 1998. 1998 for the Super Nintendo. As a sequel to Mega Man 7, uh, and in this version, players could play as either Mega Man or his rival base on their quest to defeat Dr. Wily yet again. And this game was released so far into the Super Nintendo's lifespan that despite being on a very popular franchise, it didn't have enough relevancy for Capcom to bother with translating it for North American audiences. And plus, it was seen as a leap forward in difficulty for the series, which is already notoriously difficult for many. And this game, Mega Man and Bass, was composed by a team of composers at Capcom, Toshihiko Horiyama, who is credited as Hirikiri-chan in the game, Naoshi Mitsuda, and Akari Kaida. And the video game music community has, for years now, tried to decipher which composers are responsible for which songs, but other than speculation and what little we have from interviews with the composers, the individual song credits remain a mystery. The soundtrack itself features incredibly groovy bass lines and a strong jazz fusion style that's a hard right turn away from the hummable, aggressive synths of the series' earlier entries. Compare this game with the soundtrack to Mega Man X to see what I mean. That The music from Mega Man and Bass is much more laid back, and it helps to give the game its own sense of identity within the series' compendium. It's a shame that we missed this one here in North America, but Lucky Gamers did get a chance to play the Game Boy Advance re-release, which came out in 2002 and featured most of the same soundtrack, but scaled down for the handheld where it sounds almost as good as it does here on the Super Nintendo. Thanks very much for listening to the show this week. It's always a pleasure to get these put together for you. I hope you liked the music-first focus of this edition of Square Wave, and there's still so much more to talk about. But for that, I will see you next week. (music) 